Well, amen. What a gift it was to be together and worshiping here this morning. I hope you guys are coming from a great week. I uh, am excited to be continuing this morning in uh, the book of James. And uh, as you know, in this, in this study that we've been doing, it's been a pretty intense book, right? Just kind of working chapter by chapter, some pretty intense topics. And in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about a number of different tests that we, that we face in the, in the life of a believer. And uh, two weeks ago, talking about taming the tongue, the ongoing test of that. Do you guys feel the weight of that ongoing, how that's just a, a daily challenge? challenge in the life of a believer. Last uh, week we had a conversation about where we're receiving our, our wisdom from. Is it godly wisdom? Is it uh, worldly wisdom? What's the source of the truth that we're living by? And uh, this week uh, we're talking about our response to the world around us, our response to the world around us, this tug towards worldliness, as you'll see in the text uh, here this morning. But I don't know, I, in all of this, I feel like maybe you're like me where you're just like, man, it's really hard following Christ, really hard following Christ. Anybody else in that camp a little bit where you're just like, man, this is, this is a, a tough journey that we're in. And every once in a while, I believe that God gives little bits of refreshment to remind us that it's all worth it. That it's all worth it. Yesterday, I was at Dallas Willard's uh, memorial service, and I'll tell you what, just looking at, at a life set apart like, like Dallas's, where just there's the, just story after story of examples of Christ living and working through that man's life, it was an encouragement. It was a time of refreshment for, for us. And so i just just grateful for that time, for the Heatleys and being involved with that and for his life. What a gift that was, even being refreshed yesterday with this reminder of it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth the work. The, the, the payoff is there, and we have this blessed hope that we're leaning into. This morning, uh, we're, we're going to be diving in. If you guys have your Bibles with you, if you don't, you can grab one from a pew in front of you. We're going to be looking at uh, chapter 4 in James, verses 1 through 6. So just six verses tackling this topic of worldliness tackling this topic of worldliness. And this, this text here this morning is, is really written about one of, I believe, one of the hardest things in the life of a believer is figuring out that balance of being in the world, but not of the world. In the world, anybody else feel that tug? I, I think it's one of the hardest things, being in the world and not of the world. In James 1.27, we talked about this just a few weeks back about what true religion is, keeping oneself unstained from the world, keeping oneself unstained from the world. And this text this morning addresses this idea of a, the person that's maybe teetering on that fence, that's trying to kind of do a little bit of both worlds, and we're going to come to the conclusion by the end of this text this morning that it's just not possible. You have to choose one or the other. Let me pray for us as we begin. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word and the practicality of it. The fact that it doesn't leave us where we're at. That you're not content in us just going on and, and fulfilling the status quo here in this life. That you've called us to a life uncommon. I just pray that you'd use this text this morning to, to stir, to convict, to challenge, maybe even encourage as we need it, God, here today. We recognize your dependence on, we recognize our dependence on you for all of this. We're excited to see how you're going to move through this passage. I submit this to you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. 
All right, verse 1 of chapter 4. I uh, want to see lots of Bibles in hands here. The reason, you guys ever wonder why we don't have uh, the nice verses up here on the screen is because I want to see that you all fall in love with God's Word. I want to see that you guys get so that you're like, man, I, I can do that same thing that the bald guy did on stage. I can dive in to his Word during the week, and I can, I can break apart a text and see how it speaks to my life. And so my encouragement is we've made it real simple. If you don't have a Bible in your hand, make a friend next to you. But uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. Verse 1 says this, What causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Let's pause there for a second. The first thing uh, that you notice who he's writing to and, uh, and I, I teach from the ESV, but I think your NIV is pretty similar. But the, the idea here is what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you. Among you shows that he's speaking to this same group of believers that he's been speaking to. He's talking to us. He's talking to us. And imagine that, that amongst us that there's quarrels and fighting. Have you guys ever heard of such a thing? Quarrels and fighting amongst believers. Imagine that. But th this, this, this quarreling and fighting is the exact opposite of what, what, what did we talk about last week? We talked about godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. Godly wisdom, one of the characteristics of that was peace. One of the characteristics of that was, was peace. And this is the exact opposite. When we get pursuing the worldly wisdom that's offered around us, it leads to, to, to the fact that quarrels and fighting, going against the exact opposite of what Jesus prayed for in John 17, where he prayed for unity amongst the believers. I've noticed in the Christian world around us so many people that are just on edge, just on edge, just looking for a fight. I was talking to one of my friends of mine, he was talking about another believer friend of his, that uh, he was driving in his car, and he noticed in the center dash, had that little spot that you can kind of set things, the guy had a, a bunch of golf balls, and he, he asked him the question, he said, so, so are you a, a much of a golfer? He's like, no, I use these through the, through the moon roof as people tick me off on the road. <laughs> uh, uh, like, like, unbelievable. Like, who, who does that? Don't get any ideas out there. <laughs> and, uh, and so the high schoolers, disregard. Check that from the record. That didn't happen. But, but this idea that so many people just on edge, just angry about whatever. Like, it takes so little to set them off. To, so little to set them off. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Look at the observation is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? There's passions at war within you. You see this trend in the book of James that there's the same root to our problem with our tongue, with the problem with so many areas, that it starts with us. It starts within us. You see in these first two, two verses that you see the word you and your Nine times in two verses. In two verses, you and your, because it all starts with here, 
with me. We have to own that fact, that these passions, the word passions is actually the Greek word hendonon, where we get the word hedonist, which means fleshly desires. I thought it was interesting that it doesn't specifically give what that list of fleshly desires are, because what I've noticed in the life of believers is a lot of times it's different for each of us, right? Our list of worldliness might look different than your list of worldliness. Chad and I were talking about that this week, and that's why it's such a, like a, just a challenging pursuit trying to narrow it down. What is the desires within you that have to be rid? What are the things that have to be cleaned out? I thought it was interesting the passions then leads to this desire and you fill in the blank of what that passion is, but it leads to a frustrating life. When you're trying to fulfill all these desires, you're trying to fit one thing into this hole that God's designed to be the only one that fills. You try to fill another thing. You've heard conversations about this, but it ends in frustration and coveting and thinking that, oh, maybe that person has that thing that's going to satisfy this, this, this desire. That, and that, that, that leads to discontentment in this cycle, as you guys know, if you've gotten sucked into it like I have, that it tugs you in all kinds of directions. These desires, it causes to us to covet. It causes quarrels because there's a war going on inside of us. And the truth is, a dissatisfied soul is never at peace with themselves or with God. A dissatisfied soul is never at peace with ourselves or with God. I thought it was interesting that uh, once oil tycoon John D. Rockefeller was asked, you may have heard this before, how much is enough? How much is enough? I mean, this guy was worth, I mean, he was the billionaire in the billionaire club of that time. Maybe the scale has shifted a little bit to present day, but he was one of the most wealthy men on the planet. And he was asked this question, how much is enough? When you've had all the cars, the houses, this and that, when is it enough? You know, what his response was a little more, a little more, because that's how it works. When you're trying to fill a hole that can't be filled. When you're trying to fill a hole that God was the one that was designed to fill that hole. And so it leads then to what? It says you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. The depth of depravity is bottomless for this person that's ever seeking to self-satisfy. The depth of depravity, it, it, it points out, whoa, wait, it went to, straight to murder. Wait a second, like pretty crazy, pretty intense descriptor there. But murder in the, the, the translation could be murderous hatred, destructive behavior, even leading to things such as suicide. This type of envy, this type of coveting, that's where it ends. It ends with that. It ends with this existence of constantly unsettled, not at peace, constantly fighting, constantly quarreling because of unmet expectations. I have this exercise that I do with, with couples as I do a little bit of a premarital counseling with them. We have this, we do this list 
where each one of the, uh, in the couple, they come up with a list of 10 to 15 expectations that they have going into marriage. And it's always fascinating. We have a, a time where they each get a chance to share those expectations because I believe so many conflicts are in marriage are because of unmet expectations, right? And, uh, and we go through that list and it's pretty fascinating experience because a lot of times when they're going through the list, you see the one person look at the other like, really? You expect that? <laughs> like, I'm supposed to do that laundry? You're supposed to clean the toilet. You know what I mean? Like that, those kind of things because of unmet expectations. But how true is that even in the world around us because of this? You have this idea that that person is going to meet that expectation. And when they don't, what, is it, what does it say? It leads to fights and quarrels. Fights and quarrels because of unmet expectations. My wife and I uh, enjoy on occasion, probably a little bit more so, my wife enjoys watching, watching rom uh, some romantic comedies. I would say that's one of my wife's uh, refreshing things to kind of sit down. Anybody, any other husbands get sucked into this uh, on occasion? Anybody else willing to admit this? Uh, but, but, but one of the things that I've, I've noticed is they make the guy out to be this hero that is just unattainable, Right? Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I watch these different characters, and, and I see Channing Tatum on the big screen, and I'm like, you know what? That's an expectation I will never meet. Like, you know what I mean? And so you wonder why, the point being, is, is we create these expectations of the perfect man, the perfect spouse that's going to all of a sudden fulfill all of these holes and fill all of these needs, and that person doesn't exist except for Doug Flegg. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> But, but in all seriousness, as his wife was giving him a little hug right there during the service, but um, the idea here, the idea of, of, of this unmeetable expectation, and it trickles in, we're going to see in verse 2, that it trickles into our spiritual lives as well. It says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on what? Your own passions. Your own passions. This self-pursuit trickles into our relationship with God as well. And I thought it was interesting. I was talking to John Spock about this a little bit this week. This idea that it says, you do not have because you do not ask. Because you do not ask. And I was thinking about that. Is this self-sufficiency and this self-pursuit pushes us to a place spiritually or we don't even feel like we need to ask anymore. We get to the place where you're like, I got it all figured out. I got this solved. I no longer even need God's assistance. I can problem solve this. I can think through the scenarios. I can weigh pros and cons. And we get to the place in this, in this selfish, self-pursuit that we believe that we don't even need to ask and so we lean on our own devices to solve our own problems. And we so quickly forget what we learned in James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Or James 1.17 we looked at. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. So what about this problem of not asking? Where are you at with this this morning? Are you at a place where you're just like, you know what, I've been going along so long, I'm so good at the different skill sets that I have, the field that I've been placed, I don't even ask anymore. 
What would it look like this week if that changed? If the different areas that you're stuck in or you're trying to figure out or solve, what if you started going to the Lord and saying, let me start there, getting back to asking? Then he describes the second type of person there that maybe they do ask, but look at their motives. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You see, when we're, when we're self-consumed, even our prayer life becomes seeing God as this cosmic vending machine that we put our prayer quarter in, and, 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 and he gives the thing, the desire that we want. And I, I believe that, it's, that, that pervades Christian world. You, you think of any prayer time together, how consumed those are with, I need this, I need this, instead of, God, you're awesome. And thank you for what you have given me. You know what I mean? Like a, a little bit less of I need, a little bit more of thank you would be wonderful in our prayer lives. I remember this, this idea of God as a cosmic vending machine growing up. My uh, childhood, I was in the era where Star Wars was first introduced. And, uh, and so I know some of you are like, man, you're not very old. But, uh, but uh, the Star Wars era, I loved the Star Wars toys, the action figures, the AT-AT, the, the, uh, I mean, so many cool things. Ewok Village. I mean, there are so many things that I grew up with that I had to have. And I, I remember... Uh, I remember they had this contest that Mattel put on that they had a, a contest where you filled out this, this thing and you could turn it in and you had the chance to win the entire Mattel collection of Star Wars everything. I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? My prayers for the next like year, every single night, dear Lord, have mercy on this child. <laughs> like, allow me to win this, please. I mean, I was consistent with this, this prayer, and, and, and I didn't win. And I had this neighbor kid, Alan Lefkowitz. I remember him. He had every Star Wars thing, and I just kept praying, and it, that day never came. It never came because you know what it says here? Is that that prayer, when it's with our own selfish ambition and to spend it on our own passions, that doesn't get met. So what does that look like for us today? Maybe you're not praying for Star Wars toys. Maybe you are, Chad. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. But uh, I tend to pick on you because you're right. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and so maybe it looks a little bit different. Maybe our Star Wars toys have evolved a little bit, you know, to have uh, different emblems, different, uh, different you, you get it. You get the idea. But what does our prayer life look like? That's why worldliness and this pursuit of self doesn't work. It doesn't mesh. It doesn't work when you're trying to have those two things collide, when we're consumed with our own desires. In verse 4, he describes why these two worlds don't mesh. Take a look at verse 4. It says, we see our divided affection. It says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, because of this, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. thought it was interesting the, the word that he chooses to start with. You adulterous people. Adultery, as you guys know, defines sexual intimacy apart from marriage. The text is referring here to spiritual infidelity that we're actually cheating on God. 
who are actually cheating on God. Pretty convicting imagery if you think about it. What's the, one of the worst fears that you'd have as a spouse is having uh, uh, your, your, your spouse cheat on you. And that's what God's saying exactly here. He's, say, he's saying, he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God, that we're cheating on God? That was interesting that he uses not only just the word adultery, as if that's not a terrible enough idea of cheating on creator God. But then he says, do you not know that friendship with the world? So it's not just a, it's not just a one-time event where you're lost in the emotion of it all. It's a friendship with the world. It goes, goes deeper than, 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 than just a, a cheating on. It's a close friendship. The word used there, philos, is a close personal relationship where you genuinely enjoy somebody's company. And isn't that true for us with the world? A lot of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we genuinely enjoy our relationship with the world around us. We genuinely enjoy the things of this world. And that's what he describes here as cheating on God. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? I was in uh, my college years, actually my junior year. You may not know this about me. I was actually engaged to be married to someone other than Adrian. Big mistake. Uh, but, but I went through a very hard breakup. And I remember after the breakup, the, the, the girl that I was engaged to, she actually started dating a friend of mine within like a week. And uh, I remember going tough times. Like I, I remember around campus seeing them kind of walking, holding hands, and just kind of doing their new relationship thing. Like how much that hurt? You know what I mean? Like can you imagine like the girl that you spot, thought you were going to marry and like, and just seeing them like, you're like, wait a second. They're like, they're like friends. They're like, they're like buddies. Like this is, this is messed up. And, and, and painting that picture back to this with creator God, how he must be just seeing us where we're just hanging out with the world, just doing the things of this world, consumed in it, wrapped up in it, cheating on him with someone else. Like that picture just resonates in my brain from that. And the, 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 the thing that's interesting is it points out that it just doesn't work like that. He says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That stuck to me, that, that idea of making yourself. This is a, this is a, this is a conscious choice. It, it's a conscious choice, and he creates a scene that you're creating a scenario that just can't work, that just can't work because, they're, because they oppose, the two worlds oppose each other. This world is, believes that it's all about self and that there's no God piece in it. There's no God element in it. Now, God, on the opposite end of the spectrum, believes that it's not all about self. It's about him, and God is what it's completely about. And so how can the two coexist? It's not, not possible. That's what, he, that's what he's saying there. Is he says that you, you can't. It, it doesn't work like that. In John 15, 8, Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. That the friendship, they're, they're mutually exclusive. They can't coexist. And so where are we at in this tug of war? Who are we going to give our, uh, our, our attention to? What hand are we going to hold? 
Who are we going to commit to? He paints this picture that this divided affection, where it stems from, is it stems from a jealous God. Look at verse 5. It says, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Let's pause there. No purpose that scripture says. In other words, you sense the sarcasm there. Like, uh, was, was scripture just kind of pointless in that section where it says that we serve a jealous God? I don't think so. That's what James is saying. There, there's a reason that it says that. It's because God wants our full attention. He wants our full attention. But if you stop and think about that, how cool that is that the creator God the God of the universe, the one that spoke things into existence, the one that sustains you, that gives you life, that keeps your heart beating, that same God wants an exclusive relationship with you. He wants to be your everything. He wants to have every part of you. How awesome of a thought and truth that is. Like what a beautiful thing that the creator God wants to be in a relationship and he wants all of you. How cool is that? And it even says that he wants that so badly that he yearns for it. He desires that. He desires an exclusive relationship. Do you remember back in your, your dating years, like when, when you're first starting a date, what a cool thing it was when you're starting to, you've gone on a few dates with someone and you move into that exclusively dating club. You know what I mean? Or like you're, you're no longer seeing anybody else. You're, you're just committed to that, that one person, high schoolers. No, you don't date yet. But, uh, uh, but, but, but in that era where you start dating and, and, you, and, and it turns that corner in a relationship, what an awesome thing that finally is. You're just like, all right, I can handle this. I'm just hanging out with you. I remember those days, Adrian, where we turned that corner. And, and what a beautiful thing. But that's what our Savior is saying to us. I want to have all of your attention. I want to have an exclusive relationship with you. And then when you're in that relationship, the idea of, of being with somebody else, like you're not really for that anymore. You know, like, 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 no, Adrian, you're not allowed to go on other dates anymore. And, uh, and, uh, and you know what I mean? Like, you're, you're not allowed to spend time with other people. You're not allowed to have intimate friendships with somebody. Like, no, that doesn't work. And that's the picture that, that, that the text is painting for us. It's saying it doesn't work anymore. I don't imagine there'd be a lot of hands up for wives here that would be okay with that for their husband to have an intimate relationship with somebody else. No, because it's exclusive. The same idea is true for God. But the interesting thing is, is how the, his response to jealousy. We have this idea from a human perspective. When we get jealous, we get ticked off, right? Like we, we get angry. Our, our jealousy is rooted in, in all kinds of ugliness. I've seen little clips and pieces. I'm not encouraging this show of this show called Cheaters and uh, where they do this like background investigation and catch people actually cheating on each other. And then the, the confrontation that follows. Great television, right? And, uh, and, and, and uh, what's that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, the, the, this idea, though, the, the, the fleshly responses are pretty ugly. I think I've seen one or two pieces of this. Uh, look at me condemning myself. And, uh, and, uh, and so, but this idea of cheaters is because the worldly response is what? Is 
anger and hatred and, and, and it just, just some, some nasty things come out in the life of us when we're cheated on. But I love, take a look at, at verse, verse 6. Look how Jesus, look how God responds to our unfaithfulness. In response to us, him being jealous and us cheating on us, cheating on him, being adulterous, it says this, but he gives more grace. His response to our, our infidelity is grace. Wait a second. What is that? How crazy is that? That the creator God that wants to have an intimate relationship with us, when he, when we are when there is infidelity, his response is grace. But grace may not look like maybe what we think it should look like. Take a look at the text. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In other words, therefore, because of God's grace, he opposes us, in our worldliness. God opposes us in our worldliness. That's what his grace looks like. Oppose. The word is this, anti-tosomani. It's a military term depicting a full army ready for battle. Almighty God saying, I'm opposing you in this worldliness. I have a whole entire army. You are not going to win at this. It, you are not going to succeed. If Almighty God is opposing you on something, what do you think your chances of success are? Pretty minimal, right? Not very good. Maybe, maybe even that's too big. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the, the, the chance of Almighty God, when he extends grace to us by opposing us, and what does he do? He turns up the dial of discontentment. He allows our lives to completely crash. The wrecked life that he allows then pushes us back to him. Our failed attempts to self-satisfy are actually an act of his kindness. Does that make sense? Our failed attempts to self-satisfy are actually an act of his kindness. He won't let you succeed at this. If you're a follower of him, you keep trying to cheat on him. He's like, my grace is that I'm not going to allow you to be satisfied with the things of this world. And so if we keep on going down that track and we're wondering why, man, I don't have any peace in my life. I can't, I, I can't get this thing nailed down. It's because God is opposing you in your love of the world. God is opposing you. And he's not going to lose. He's not going to lose. He, and I was thinking about that. What drives that? It's because it's all driven by love. He wants what's best for us. He wants what's best for you. He doesn't want you to settle for the things of this world. He's like, when you have, your, when you have kids, you get this. It's just like, man, you, you want the very best for them. You want to see them succeed. You want to see them flourish. You, you don't want them to settle for things that are second rate, right? The same idea with creator God. He loves us. He doesn't want us to settle when we moved here, my, my, my kids started getting into quite a, into a bit into bike riding. We have this little cul-de-sac thing that we're in, and uh, they're constantly doing laps riding around. And my son, uh, they grow up so quick, don't they? The, my, my son, uh, his bike was just getting smaller and smaller, and he looked like just a giant on this tiny little bike. And I'm like, 
All right, I guess we got to head to the store and get you a new bike. And, uh, and, and so we headed over to somewhere really nice. You guys may have heard of this store before. It's called Walmart. And, uh, and so, and so we, we went there, and they had some bikes there that were his next size up. And, and I actually, it was kind of a, like, a, like a $10, $20 difference between like the lowest end one and the very upper one. And so I tried to sell, sell him on this. I'm like, son, we're going to get you the very best bike here at Walmart. And, uh, and so I picked him up a, a bike or whatever at, at Walmart. We go home. He's so excited. But it was so funny uh, to hear him talking to his little friends. And he was, he was talking about this experience, and he's like, my dad bought me the very best bike at Walmart. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and <laughs> I, was, I overheard him actually say it, so I was chuckling as I heard the story. And, uh, and I was thinking about that and that, that image of, of being excited about the very best bike at Walmart and how that parallels us here with worldliness. That we settle for the very best bike at Walmart. You know what I'm saying? Like the things that this world throws at us that keep saying, this is going to satisfy. This is going to please. This is going to fill that hole. We're like, all right, I'll take it. I'll take it and brag about it. Like it's going to be awesome. But God's just like, you're settling for the very best bike at Walmart. Really? Like, really? I, I have so much more to offer you. So much more to offer you. So what do we do? What do we do when we find ourselves in this place where we're just kind of entangled in it all? Where you're kind of entangled in this pursuit of this whole worldliness thing, and it's got a hold on you from every single direction. But I love how the text concludes. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to what? The humble. The humble. The best response when we find ourselves, and it can be a daily thing, when we find ourselves getting sucked into this whole cycle, this whole world deal, when we find ourselves in it, just humbling ourselves, going back before the Lord and, and, and saying, God, I blew it. I'm sorry. I've, I've been cheating on you. I no longer want to admire and seek the things of this world. I want my self-concern to be replaced with concern for your glory, for your kingdom, with a heart for the lost, a love for your people. I'll tell you what, when we come humbly before him with that kind of a humble prayer, God, I've been cheating on you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Change my heart. Reshape me. I'll tell you what, he is not the God that's waiting there with a club. He's the, he's the father in the story of the prodigal son, right? When he saw the son coming back, what did he do? He, he didn't wait. He came running with an embrace. That's our God. That's the picture of our God. When we've blown it, when we've gotten sucked into this, we're one point of humility away from being reconciled in relationship with him. What would that look like this week for us to pull away and say, God, man, I'm sorry. I've gotten sucked into all of this. What would that look like in your life? Could you carve out some time to do that? I don't know. I'm confident we have a God that's waiting there for an embrace. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for your word here and the picture, the accurate picture that it paints of worldliness. There's no peace in it. There's no satisfaction. It leaves us coveting, wanting more, discontent, 
all of those things. I thank you that you are jealous for us, that you're jealous to be our all in all. God, I just pray that we'd make that choice, that we daily, hourly, moment by moment, make the choice to allow you to be our everything. For those of us that have gotten too quiet for too long and coming to you with our needs, and we've gotten so self-sufficient, I pray that maybe this would be a, a corner that's turned here today. God, but ultimately, I pray that we would stop settling for bikes at Walmart. God, I pray that you change our heart in this. We thank you that you're so patient, that you do keep coming back, and your response to jealousy is grace, more grace. We love you and praise you here this morning. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. I want to just take a minute just as we're kind of concluding our, our service. We have a, a new staff hire that we wanted to introduce to you all this morning. I want to invite up Chris and Christina, uh, if they could come forward. As you guys know, we've been kind of working through the, the last couple months, uh, figuring out the kind of the junior high piece and the high school piece of caring for that portion of our church. And we're excited to have uh, Chris coming on board and Christina. And they're uh, from the area here. He's connected over at Oaks doing some coaching there. And we're excited to have him doing that part-time there and here part-time with 20 hours working with the junior high ministry. We have created for you guys a, a little bio so you can read a little bit and learn about uh, Chris uh, here uh, this this morning. Uh, did I miss something? <laughs> What's that? Oh yeah, you can you can read this letter. That's for you. That's for you. And uh, and so uh, so we're um, looking forward to them uh, him starting at the the same time that Josh is starting. So here in the first uh, week of June, they're going to be uh, moving into the office and getting set up. And really excited to have a, a full staff team now and uh, place with with John coming new. And so we're just grateful for what God's been doing and how He's been working behind the scenes. But I want to invite up uh, any elders that are here this morning. We thought we'd start with just a little moment of just praying and commissioning uh, for these guys. And uh, you guys have three children. You're you're right on track there. That's awesome. What what are what what are their what are their names, Chris? Um, okay. Or Christina? I did, I did, I did what are their names? Caleb, Kenzie, and Cameron. Glad you got that. Yeah, that's good. It good. <laughs> well, right after the the service here, they're going to be hanging out in the gazebo area. If you're a junior high parent, if you're a junior hire, I would love for you to take some time. We we typically wanted to have a chance for them to uh, meet on the first night of junior high, but we don't have as John. Uh, mentioned we don't have junior high this week and so you could take some time after the service in the gazebo just to say hi to welcome them and uh yeah let me pray for them uh now god we just thank you right now so much uh for chris and christina and just how you've been working behind those scenes and and their life and how you've drawn them uh to th this role here at abf god to invest in the kids and the future generations here at our church pray that you'd bless them that you'd use them, that you'd uh, just continue to bind them together, their marriage. Thank you for their, their three kids. God, I just pray that this would be a, a, a season of, of much fruit with junior hires, God, and in student ministries in general. Or pray a, a special blessing on Chris, that you'd empower him for this task. It's not easy. It's not light. So we just trusting in you to lead and guide in this ongoing ministry. We thank you for your goodness and faithfulness. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you guys wanted to take a minute to meet them, that would be fantastic. If you did have something that you want to be prayed for, the elders are going to be available here at the front. Otherwise, I pray you have a fantastic week.